Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Unarmed black people being attacked by police Protests breaking out in Atlanta, New York, Chicago, Philly, and all over the nation. An awakening of black identity and pride sweeping through the community along with a growing sentiment that the church no longer has relevant answers for our community. People turning away from Christ into other options, atheism, agnosticism, African spiritualism, Eastern mysticism, or a unique combination of all of the above. All of this prompted a notorious gangbanger to ask as he grieved along with the anguish in his community, if Christ is the answer, what are the questions? The year was 1974 and the former gangbanger had gone from pushing drugs to pushing Jesus in the hood. His name was Tom Skinner and he was getting at the heart of what was at the issue then and what is at the heart of the issue now. Once again, over 45 years since Skinner made that question the title of his book, those of us seeking to spread the gospel that preaches both spiritual and holistic renewal in our community must ask ourselves, if Christ is the answer, what is the question? We live in a time when many have questions about the church and about Christ. And often we can find ourselves on the defensive trying to answer the wrong question for a long time. The legendary Lisa Fields, founder and president of Jew 3 Project and a woman passionate about sharing her faith, recently told me a story that relates to this. You see, a friend of hers reached out to her struggling with his faith. He asked questions about the problem of evil and suffering in the world. And as she, he asked these questions, she reasoned and articulated uh, a, a very dynamic explanation as only she knows how. After a few hours, she came to realize that the real issue wasn't an existential crisis of suffering, but that he wanted to have sex with his girlfriend. His real question was, can I have Jesus and have her too? You see, before we know how to reveal Christ as the answer, we must know what is the question. Do you know if people are asking you the real question? How do you get to that real question? One of the greatest crises of our time is that people are struggling because they don't have answers and that many Christians who would offer a reason for the hope don't even know the real question that they're asking. And often the first one is not the real question at all. Because of the frustration of not knowing what the right questions are, many Christians have given up even trying to share their faith and fall victim to the lie that the reason why people aren't responsive is because their hearts are hardened and they don't want to hear the gospel. But the research doesn't tell us that. Looking at the research from Pew and Barna about the growing religious trends in America, 
The largest group is not the adamant atheist, the hostile Hebrew Israelite, or the African spiritualist. It's the undecided group known as the nuns. No, not the women in the black and white habit, but a group of people who, when they check off a religious affiliation, they check none. Before we can hope to present Christ as the answer, we must ask the right questions. What matters to them? Why uh, are they in that position of moving away from any religious identity or affiliation? Unfortunately, many of us try to share Christ, but we're answering the wrong questions. So before we can try to hope to be ministers of reconciliation and, and, and deal with the issues around us in our community, we have to know, like, what is the bad news that our good news must respond to? Here are a couple questions to ask ourselves to make sure that we're asking the right questions. Is my gospel relevant to their bad news? Relevance means the, the degree to which something is related or useful to what's happening or being talked about. Relevance is where the rubber meets the road. It answers the question, why does what you want to say matter to me? So that's an important question. Relevance asks three different questions in particular, a subset. The first is the question of identity. Who am I? The second is the question of significance. What's my purpose? And the third is the question of dignity. What am I worth? Shout out to Dr. Karen and Carl Ellis who helped develop these black theologians who you should really check out. But especially in the context of the black experience and dealing with 400 years of slavery, oppression and the Western stigma of blackness that these questions of identity, dignity and significance must be dealt with. Does your gospel deal with the bad news of what we've experienced as a people? And does it offer good news that says and tells a better story? And here's the deal. The beautiful thing about the question of relevance is that God's answers are better than our questions. The biblical story reveals that the good news is better than whatever we could have imagined. See, in the question of identity, who am I? The scripture records in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Even if we don't know our ethnic ancestry or live in a world that doesn't celebrate or acknowledges value, the God of the Bible says that we have our ultimate ancestry in God himself. In addition to that, God has made our cultures and said it is good for us to create and express our ethnic identity and cultural identities. And yet that's not the end of it because of Christ's death and resurrection. He has adopted those who would believe in him to be part of his spiritual genealogy. <laughs> so whether you can boast of having an ancestry of kings or queens or not, you have the ability to identify with the king of kings who affirms the value of our culture and elevates it to be conformed to his image. Who am I? I'm a child of the king. But what about the question of what am I worth? Once again, God's answer is better than our question. Not only does the Bible teach us that we have infinite worth because we were made in his image, it goes even further in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Check this out. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, how much are you worth? 
worth enough that God sent his one and only son to endure a punishment that we deserve so that we could become the righteousness of God. What is worth more than the king of the universe sacrificing himself to you, for you? Placing us in the culture that we're in and elevating us all at the same time, that is about dignity. What about significance? What's my purpose? So from the biblical perspective, what's the point? Well, hear these words, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who've been called according to his purpose. What else can promise that for those who love God and are called, all things work together for good? That's everything. That means the good, like the graduations, the weddings, the births, and even the bad, the car accidents, the injustice, the pain. Like it was a barbecue when everyone gets a plate, nothing is wasted. All things means even the things that we can't understand and that are hard. God is using it all to conform us to him and to draw us to an unspeakable joy. Does your gospel relate to these relevant issues? Christ is the answer, but do you know the question that people are asking? Now, there's another side of the coin as well called credibility. Credibility is the quality of being believable or worthy of trust. <laughs> I used to hang out with this friend uh, who, after school, we'd go to his mom's house and um, who always had this, like, that bowl of plastic fruit out. And I hated it because the first time I saw it, he was like, yo, you want a piece of fruit? And I was like, yeah. And then I picked it up and I realized it was fake. And he just would clown me all the time. And so after that, I go and he'd be like, yo, you want a piece of fruit? And I'd be like, nah, I'm good. And, you know, keep the joke going. Well, one time he, he said, yo, you want a piece of fruit? And I was like, nah, I'm good. And he took a bite out of this juicy, golden, delicious apple. And I was like, wow. But I didn't even fall for it in the beginning because even a hungry man won't eat food that looks fake. Our gospel has to be credible to be trusted. The good news is that there is merit to the biblical worldview and that the facts and logic are on our side. And so we have to be able to recognize that this issue of credibility is one that we can establish and be built on and know that it's true. There's a couple of types of things that people use to question the validity of our faith. The popular attack on the gospel now is to suggest that to believe it is a form of ethnic betrayal, you know, like you're not black enough. Because of slavery, oppression, and injustice, people would argue we shouldn't believe the gospel because it was a tool of oppression. But in order to respond to that, we must understand that how to ask the right question in response. You know, like the question of, is it to hold the teachings of Jesus, is that immediately an, an ethnic betrayal? Like, was the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 betraying his ethnicity when he brought the gospel and received it in Africa? Was Frederick Douglass betraying his people when he wrote that he loved the pure, peaceable Christianity of Christ, and as a result, he hated the women-whipping, cradle-plundering, slave-holding Christianity of this land? Knowing the truth that those who fought for justice were living out Christian faith and that those who were oppressing us were living out a distorted version of that faith helps us to build a case for the external credibility. But we also have to look at internal credibility as well. How do we respond to the questions and concerns people have about the text itself? 
Well, almost always the answer that is that just like with Lisa's friend, that people are actually not really that interested in the internal validity of the scripture, but it's covering up a different concern that exists. But if they do go there, one of the big questions we have to ask ourselves is, do they even believe in universal truths? You see, if I ask someone, do you believe in universal truth or moral or otherwise, and they say no, then that actually puts the question on a whole different playing field. First of all, the claim that there is no universal truth is a universal truth. Secondly, the position falls on its face because if there is no universal truth, then how can you judge the Bible for its teachings on morality? You see, before I even get to try to defend the teachings of Christ, I can challenge the very premise of the arguments against them. And we have to learn how to do that. Too often, we try to make Christ the answer to the wrong question. And as urban presenters of the gospel, we must be ready to both face the internal and external credibility challenge. As urban presenters of the gospel, we must address both the internal and external credibility challenges. And we do that when we uh, present a gospel that is relevant both and coherent. We can't just get away with what grandma told me, so it must be true. We have to be ready and prepared to give an answer for the faith that we have. But we have to do that with good faith partners, people who really want to learn and to understand. And one of the mistakes we make is to realize not everybody is worth giving an answer to. <laughs> not everybody is worth giving an answer to. How do I know that? Because Jesus showed me that. In Luke chapter 20, after he turned the temple out, he flipped over tables that the religious leaders were using to exploit the people and take them for their money. Some things never change. And those religious leaders got mad and they asked Jesus, well, what gives you the right to mess up my hustle? And Jesus says, okay, you wanna know what gives me the authority? Well, let me ask you a question. Notice he didn't tell them straight up. He said, was John's baptism from God or was it from himself? And then they huddle up and they say, like, yo, if we say from God, then they'll say like, why well, didn't I believe it? But if we say it's from him, then the people gonna get mad. So they said, we don't know. And so Jesus answered, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, Jesus knew that they weren't good faith conversation partners. So he simply didn't answer the question. Sometimes the best answer is the one that's not given because it'll only waste time. When we ask ourselves these questions about relevance, when we start to establish the sense of credibility, then we're able to show that Christ is the answer to their questions. We can give a deeper story to why justice matters, to why truth matters, and why black lives matter. Atheism can't do that. Cometicism can't do that. A mixture of, pro a mixture of practices that's like a DIY faith can't ultimately do that, but Jesus can. Now, it is true that the history of injustice and oppression of Western civilization has been used as a, and has distorted a version of Christianity to justify its oppression. And as a result, many people now do distrust it. But the reality is that we can overcome that by simply taking people back to Jesus. But in order to do that, we must be slow to speak and quick to listen. Well, here are five basic principles to help you before I close. A major study asks non-Christians, if a Christian were to answer these five things, would they want to have the conversation? 82% said yes. People want to talk if we are prepared to do these things. First, be present and listen. 
follow the conversation and ask good questions. Second, walk in their shoes, understand their story. What if they, if they say something like, yeah, I used to go to church, but I don't go anymore. And just be like, well, what happened? And you start to understand and hear, and this is the thing I ask myself, can I reflect back their story and get the emotional weight of it so much that they can get that I relate to it? Another is to find common ground. If they talk about hypocrisy in the church, don't get defensive. Just say, yeah, I've been there too. Fourth, talk like a real person. Avoid using churchy words. If you use words that like grace or savior, make sure that you define them or ask the person if they know what those mean. Lastly, create a better story. Once you know the question, you can share how Christ is the answer. The person you're talking to wants to stand up for justice. Do they want to identify with their cultural heritage or find their purpose? If they want to do those things, that's dope. I can share with them the legacy of how Christian faith can help them to do that, just like it did in the past. I can share how Christ esteems our heritage and redeems it so that where sin oppresses, the gospel blesses. But you see how this is different than just starting from that place. By asking questions, it allows us to see where they are, to meet them where they are. Here's one last practical step. Have a set of questions on hand, ready to go, so that you're prepared to actually practice this. Now, this is an art and a science. You'll, you'll stumble along the way. There'll, there'll be times that you, you'll get better. But if you seek to understand before being understood, then you, when you do that, you'll learn what is the real question that they are asking. When you seek to understand before being understood, you'll actually be able to address what is the root of the issue. Seek to understand before being understood. When you do that, you'll learn what is the question that people are really asking, and you'll be able to share how Christ is the answer. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.